Welcome to the Celebration Community Church Podcast, where we exist to meet God, grow in Him, and serve through Him. Welcome to the Celebration Community Church Podcast. My name's Nathan. And my name is Derek. Hey, it's been a long time, Derek. How you been? been? I've been good, Nathan. How have you been? <sighs> Living like there's no tomorrow. I've been hot. YOLOing it was all hot over. All summer. I know. YOLOing <laughs> all over. That, okay. I'm really taking that to heart. My <laughs> millennial vernacular is showing. <laughs> Um, so you just got off of sabbatical in, well, it's been a couple of weeks, but you had a sabbatical the entire month of July, right. but just kind of looking back at the last year and looking forward to the plans that we have, what are you excited about that's happening in the life of our church? You know, I, when you, when you ask that question, the first thing that pops into my head is just like kind of getting back to the way things were. <laughs> Um, you know, in a way of, we've had such a crazy couple of years here. Um, we actually just celebrated three years of the storm where the roof blew off of the Woo! worship center. That was uh, August 13th, 2019. Um, I will probably always remember that date. It's my dad's birthday as well. Um, so I have multiple reasons to remember Happy birthday, Dale. One positive and one very not positive. Um, <laughs> but so, you know, just thinking about that, And everything that our church has gone through, not just the roof blowing off and needing to rebuild um, uh, the the main part of our worship space, uh, but then everything with COVID and the shutdown and all of that, there's just been a lot that's gone on the last couple of years. And so, you know, get back to normal. What's that even mean? What is normal? (laughs) Uh, But I I I think just like this feeling of like, okay, we've we've weathered the storm both literally and figuratively um and um you know just to see what what god wants to do in the life of our church um that that i feel there's growth that came during those seasons even though they were difficult even though they were hard um yeah. god doesn't waste time and so he uses those that time to prepare us for for whatever he has next and so i, I think that's what i'm most excited for is just to see what is it like to to get back to um, doing things the, the way that we we used to, and you know we yeah. have we have Patrick Turley who came on as youth pastor in January of 2020, and so his entire tenure here has been really crazy. And so yeah. for him, like I was excited having a conversation with him about youth ministry of just getting back into the schools and the events and everything, kind of getting back to what they were before 2020. And so it, it'll be be cool just to see that. Yeah, I've just been waiting for what's going to be the next unprecedented what's one in a lifetime sort of event that's going to happen to us. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) here we go. Right. Um, I'm, I'm really excited for the opportunity for just connection. Mm -hmm. I feel like, a lot of the the things that have happened are you know well intentioned to keep people safe, but they come at a cost of of sure. being really disconnected. And I, I want to see, and I have plans in order to just live a more connected life yeah. with the community that we've like clung to. Um, it's weathered a lot of really difficult things, both physical changes and like a lot of spiritual unrest within the church as well. I thought that the, (laughs) the roof blowing off was almost the epitome of the season that we found ourselves in. Um, But I, I do agree with you. I think that we, we have come through that and we're, we're on the precipice of, of another really, really good opportunity for our, our church. as something adjacent to the sermon series. And we started a sermon series called Sticks and Stones. And Derek, being on the on the pastoral team, can you just talk about a an overview of what Sticks and Stones is about? Sure. Um, you know, this was a, a series, an idea that Pastor Brandt came up with, just kind of looking at 
What are some common things that are said, um, mainly in a negative light, about Christians, about churches, about you know, the the followers of God, and and not necessarily things that are inaccurate or not true, or at least to some extent. Um, and so, looking at looking at these sayings, where do they come from? Why why is that a common thought about church from either a non-believer or somebody who's a skeptic of church? Mm-hmm. Um, or, or followers of, of Jesus, and, and where, where do those come from? Are they accurate? If they are accurate, do we need to change them, and how do we go about changing them? And so, uh, you know, I think that, that it's something that a lot of people are going to have heard these sayings or mm-hmm. maybe even said them themselves um, before. Yeah. Um, and again, because there is some truth to, to all of these statements at, at one level or another, and we'll yeah. talk a lot about that in the sermons and throughout the podcast, but... But I think it was just an opportunity to kind of take these things kind of head on and say, okay, this gets said about a church, maybe even about our own church at some mm-hmm. point. Why is it said and what do we do about it? Yeah. There's two reasons that I am just eternally grateful that I do not have to preach, period, but especially during this one. And the first one is it is so hard to communicate around topics like this with grace sure. and with thoroughness, especially when you're limited to 27 minutes on a on I'm a not weekend. limited to 27 minutes. Uh, yeah, Nathan. you can go as long I as usually, you want I to. usually go at least 30 to 35. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, sometimes we're limited. <laughs> we don't have a lifetime to talk right. about these. But also, I feel like my preparation would be, yeah, that's true, but right. here are the reasons why it shouldn't be and it's an ideal that might not ever be actualized on this side of our life but you know it doesn't mean that our striving to be more like jesus is in vain it just is is the balancing of the already not yet paradox of the christian life that we are already redeemed but there's still something that feels like we're not yet we're still required to work out that salvation not as if we have to do things jesus plus works but it it says that the evidence of jesus should be in our our works right yeah as James was was talking. So the first week is about Christians being hypocrites. And Pastor Brandt talked about um, some some ways that Jesus talked about hypocrites in, um, in the scriptures, and we'll get to that in a moment. But the first question that I just wanted to posit and talk about was why Christians are thought of as hypocrites in popular spaces or in discourse. And the first thing I think of especially is biblical illiteracy. What I mean by that is that uh, Lifeway Research uh, states that one in five, about one in five people have read the entirety of their Bible. And this is difficult because, you know, the Bible is not God. However, the Bible is a medium for communion with God. And if we say that we belong to God, that we adhere to these tenets of the faith, yet have never read the scriptures. Yeah. I mean, do have we counted the cost of what it actually means to to be a Christian? Um, this one is, is close to my heart, specifically like teaching the Bible Foundations right. course. And I'm not I'm not sitting here saying that I'm a great teacher of that course or anything like that, but I think that one of the things that that I want people to see is regardless of your your past, you can get into the Bible and know that something is going to change with God working in you. And I think that's really important. Like, what what do you think about the idea of biblical illiteracy? You know, I, I think when you mention a statistic like that, I, I immediately go to the thought of, even though Christianity appears to be on the outs in America from a lot of people's perspectives, the reality is, as a nation, it's still a really popular thing to say you're a Christian. Or if you're asked the question, are you a Christian?, most people, even if they don't consider themselves, you know, a person who goes to church consistently or who reads the Bible right. or who or who really even thinks about it too much, there's this idea of, well, I'm going to say yes, because if it means like 
I don't end up in hell. I want to have said yes, right? right? Like, yeah. I think that's still a, a very popular line of thinking. Yeah. And so I think I always look at, at surveys and stuff like that through, through kind of a, a, a lens of, I think there's people who answer that question who really haven't seriously contemplated what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean yeah. to be a follower of Jesus? And, and so I think that we have to take that into account, but I, but I do think it's true as well, that sometimes it just gets easy to say, you know, I'm a Christian, I believe in Jesus, maybe even to go to church all the time, but to not really get into the Word and really get to know kind of yeah. that surface level relationship, like, yeah, I have a relationship with Jesus, I know who He is, you know, I, I hear all the time that He died on the cross for my sins, and I'm forgiven for that, and I really like that, and that's good, mm-hmm. but, you know, and, and I, I like what you said about the Bible Basis class, that there there is a spot for everybody, regardless of, of your your knowledge, regardless of your background in... in um, the Bible or, or anything, a, a place for you to come into the Word of God. And I think so often people get um, scared that they're not going to understand what they're reading, intimidated mm-hmm. by, I read something, I didn't understand it, and it's yeah. confusing, and so they stop. And, yeah. and I understand that, but that's why I think it's so important that we have classes like Bible Basics and we have resources that, yeah. Bible foundations that, that people can um, look at and they can um, learn how to dig into scripture in a way that can be enlightening to them, yeah. because that's the whole goal of of scripture is not just for us pastors to stand up and open it up and preach at someone, mm-hmm. but for us all to be able to open it up and to fall in love with the scriptures that help us to reveal who who God is and who we're called to be. Yeah, I think that's important. I just want to I want to make sure that I I add this caveat. Mm-hmm. I don't think that biblical illiteracy is often a conscious, like, I'm not going to do it sort of thing. I think that people are intimidated and want to get things right and put themselves in this impossible situation where if I can't do this right on my own, God is going to punish me for that. And I think that God is so elated for an opportunity to connect that he honors the time that we have together. Normal church people do not have to be biblical experts in order to have a profound, dynamic relationship with God through the scriptures. And I think that maybe that's the the whole point that I, I want to get into is that, yeah, like people will say, I'm a Christian without really knowing all of that that entails. And that's probably because they've had some sort of experience that is like transcendent to them sure. in the church context. And they're like, yeah, I want to I want to do this thing. And largely the church has been ill-equipped to help right. them with that. We have a very theologically uninformed laity that mm-hmm. feels almost like shackled by that Disin, not in, disinformation, but lack of knowledge. So it ends up that a very small portion of people in the church do a very large majority of the things. And I don't think that's like people are are being mean and saying, I don't have to do this. I think right. that they, they just feel like I'm not qualified to and, do it. Right. And and we, we, we've seen this, not just in our church, but in church as a whole. And that's why over the last couple of years, you've, you've seen a focus of spiritual disciplines, many of them in reading the Bible, reading through the New Testament, reading through the whole Bible, New and 22, all have focused on getting into the Word of God and, and, and learning more and allowing it to affect us. And I think that's really, when we're talking about biblical literacy, when it comes to hypocrisy and being judgmental yeah. and self-righteous, we're not talking about understanding all of the theological ideas of Scripture and all yeah. of the background of that. We're talking about, are you getting into the Word of God and allowing it to change who you are? Are you allowing it yeah. to challenge yourself? Because yeah. you don't have to understand the ins and outs and the context of every single story and the background and the history yeah. and the, and the you know, archaeological information mm-hmm. to open up the Bible and have it change you and who yeah. you are as a selfish human being naturally. Yeah. There, that, I think that's, it's... Hebrews 4 that says the Bible is a, a two-edged sword mm. capable of separating uh, bone and marrow or something like that. Yeah. And I think that sword is intended to point within, right. and it's the the Holy Spirit kind of moving us to examine who we are, how we live. And I think the, the hypocrites that Jesus was concerned about are the ones who are wielding the scriptures outward as yeah. a weapon to 
not include other people. Yep. If we're reading the scriptures to try to determine who's out and who's in, and somehow I all I always end up on the inside. <laughs> right. That's amazing, you know that sort of thing. Um, it's like God agrees with me. And I think that that's really dangerous. I think that that puts us in a place of of self-righteousness that's not earned because it's nothing but the righteousness of of Christ that he has given to us as well. A very healthy way to open up the Bible is to look at it from the perspective of what do I have wrong and what do I need to adjust. But so often our human nature, anytime we're looking at something or trying to learn or grow, we're looking at opportunities for where someone else is wrong and we're right. Yeah. Yeah, I want to offer an alternate perspective. I know that Paul talks about flesh and spirit, right? Uh-huh. And the flesh is supposed to talk about those those tendencies um, that work contrary to the flesh. But I almost think that Jesus reveals what has been true the entire time about human nature, hmm. that it is good, yeah. right? When when God creates in, in Genesis, sure. he calls humanity the pinnacle of the creation and it's the behaviors that that we've learned that move us away from not, that right. not the original intention i think the the christian life is one that's integrated with how to truly be human right right to to really be the caretakers the ones with um not this this coercive dominion but this really life bringing sure. fertile sort of dominion a responsibility to cultivate what god has done and is doing in the yeah. world become who who we were created to be precisely yeah i I think that's a really a really good way to to talk about it Um, another thing that i think that people are oftentimes called or christians are are called hypocrites because of is this idea of compartmentalization and we are naturally supposed to do this i i don't think that there's a lot of black and white in these terms that we're talking about, like biblical literacy, compartmentalization. I think there's spectrums of each of these, right? Someone can be relatively literate in the Bible in terms of its narrative arc, right? But there's always that Dunning-Kruger effect, right? Where the person who has a little bit of literacy thinks that they have a lot and chooses to wield that outward. Yeah, that's sort of hypocritical. I don't... um, I don't want to think that it's, oh, you're either a compartmentalist or you're not. You're either biblically literate or you're not, because I think that's a bad way of framing it. But compartmentalization refers to the way that we might live or be or behave in one context versus another. And it's very, very easy to put on the Christian veneer of, how are you doing at church? And keep people at at arm's length with the the saccharine smile um, where you're really broken and needing help or or needing truth. And and maybe you, you're, or people tend to try to live one way to satisfy their religious obligation and then live in a way that, that brings them pleasure in their lives. And, you know, I can't, I can't fault a lot of people for doing that because up to then, up to now, it has worked thus far, Sure. right? So, um, but that complacency is, is also kind of dangerous in, in my mind as well. If we don't see ourselves as, as works in progress, continuing to yeah. take step for, steps forward and are just satisfied with, okay, I have this block of my life here, this block of my life here, and they never have to connect to each other. I feel like that's, that's kind of the, the definition of, of hypocrisy that Brandt gave, that play acting yeah. in the, the place that you are. Which I think there's the reality that that there are parts of our life that have to have a little bit of that, yeah. right? Like when I'm at work and I'm in work mode, I don't want to be that exact same person in terms of my demeanor of how I'm handling myself when I'm playing with my kids, right? Yeah. Because when I'm talking about finances and I'm talking about business decisions and things like that for the church, right. not that I'm a completely different person. But I do have to have a little bit of a different mindset mm-hmm. than when I'm, I'm, you know, in the backyard playing baseball with my boys, yeah. right? Because if I'm a hard nose, this is the rule, and this is how it's going to happen. No, that was a foul ball, and yeah. you know it, six year old. Yeah. Like I'm not going to be, very, I'm not going to be very fun there, yeah. right? And you know, and so I think that the the reality of it is not that there's not moments where we have a little for lack of better terms, different version of ourselves mm-hmm. in, in where our focus needs to be. 
but it's that foundation. Is the yeah. foundation solid and consistent all the way through? Right. right? Am I am I this certain person when I'm at church? I'm this certain person with I'm when I'm with my family, and I'm a certain person when I'm with friends away from my family and my church. Right. Mm-hmm. And and those people don't resemble the other at all. I think that's that's where we really get into the hypocrisy yeah. um, side of things, where we we appear to be living out different. Yeah. Um, goals for our life in those different areas. Yeah, there there are different social obligations or responsibilities in in different um avenues of your life, right? You're not going to be dad in the DMV line right. when your kids aren't there, right? Or you might have a, a little bit different expectations for your children if you're out at the restaurant versus right. if they're out on the farm, you know, being able to hoot and holler and sure. that sort of thing. That's just like public courtesy. And I'm not saying that that's not <laughs> okay because right. it is. But the compartmentalization is like, dad is not related dad Derek or dad Nathan is not related to like church person Nathan who is not related to work Nathan who's not related to driving on the interstate or in the roundabouts Nathan (laughs) right like those if those things do not jive do not look like a consistent person like there are values governing my behavior in each of those instances i think that's where that hypocrisy label is able to be like assigned pretty easily the last thing i i thought of as in terms of like why are christians thought of as hypocrites is is a little bit underwhelming and not very flattering it's well inevitably we we are yeah it's justified yeah it's (laughs) it's justified because we are human and we behave in different ways and and we do a lot of stuff that we don't mean to do and we end up regretting i think that the difference the the way that a hypocrite tends to behave is one who doesn't realize that uh, be accountable for their actions and put things into their lives that make returning to those actions very difficult. It's yeah. the person who, you know, is is what Paul asks about in Romans 6. He says, should I just continue to sin so that grace may abound? By no means. He says, no, I'm not just going to sit here and just continue to live in sin just so that I can be like, oh, God's got me, that yeah. sort of thing. He forgive, forgives me again. Yeah, it's, it's cheapening the grace. Right. It's saying that this gift, while I obviously need it, I'm just going to like continue to to ex- extract more and more and more and more and not change my life as a result of the gift of grace. And that becomes a that becomes a I mean, we could do a whole series of podcasts on yeah. the theology of that and grace yeah. and, you know, how much does grace abound and how mm-hmm. much, are, you know, that, you know, and so it is hard to kind of draw that line there. But the the goal is if we want to be a growing follower of Jesus, if we're wanting to um, be growing in our faith and our example, then we're not doing things to prove that God has grace. We are doing things because we've been impacted by that grace, and we're changing who we are because of that. Yeah. And, and I think there's a there's a very big difference between those two, and yeah. I think that's the key for us to 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 be reaching for as followers. Yeah, James James talks about like works without faith being blind. You right. can be a really good person, but without the eyes, the lens of Jesus to look through, you're being a good person in a very like strange, limited sort of sense. You're not seeing the the value that Christ gives, bestows uh things that people intrinsically have. But then the far harsher thing is faith without works being dead. And man, I don't, I don't want a dead faith. That sounds very unattractive to me, but if I am willing to speak something with my tongue, which is very, very easy to do, and then I'm not willing to make my behaviors match that, Mm -hmm. it means that that faith was never really alive in the first place. Yeah. It doesn't mean that my faith is like <laughs> is justified by my works, is right. shown by my works. It means that 
as a reflection of the work that Jesus is doing in me, so too I should be doing something in the world to to that is evidence of the right. work of Christ. So, and again, this could be a whole can of worms, and, yes. and I don't mean to get us off on a tangent, but one of the things when we talk about that that pops into my head are all of these scandals, mm-hmm. right, that we've seen with prominent pastors, of yep. whether that's a financial scandal, a sexual scandal, whatever, mm-hmm. some sort of moral or ethical failure that they've had. And I really struggle with, you know, there's... I'm really encouraged in the fact that I know that people who have fallen have had incredible impacts on others for the sake of the gospel. That people know Jesus because of of what people have taught, even though they had moral and ethical failures. Right. And that's that really like kind of just gets all jumbled up in my mind, and all these questions come up. Yeah. But you know, and and I think about that verse in James of you know, faith without works is is dead. Now, how do we? The, the answer I've always come to in the midst of those is is God is not limited by what we do or do not do. He is not limited by our level of hypocrisy, obviously. Yeah. But but I, I just I, it really just messes with me a little bit um, to see, obviously being a pastor, I, I'm I'm just disheartened all the time when I see things like this happen. Yeah. Um, but God still used a lot of those men and women who who have had these yeah. failures to reach people. Yeah. So we don't want to be guilty of the, hey, fellow nerds, listen up, the ad hominem fallacious reasoning, which is Explain. attacking a person, yes. ad hominem, the, sure. at the human, okay. rather than their, their work, their argument, sure. right? Basically, hypocrites are right. Someone is not a is not wrong because they sure. live some way. Now it may be inconsistent what they're saying and, and how they're behaving, but that doesn't mean anything about what they're necessarily saving. Sure. Saying sure. that's a fallacious way of thinking, but it oftentimes can really influence people's perception. If sure. you see someone saying something and living another way, yes. Yeah, I, I think dangerous. that's why a lot of a lot of people mm-hmm. call the church hypocrites is because yeah. what do you see in the news most of the time? It's usually not a lot of good news about a church. It's usually <laughs> that somebody messed up again. Indeed, yeah, yeah, but that doesn't make the 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 things that that person is is saying the arguments. It doesn't make them null and void. Right. It just and and I think that a lot of people can in bad faith equate those two things where sure. they should not be. Sure. Now, that does not mean that we should not hold leaders accountable for their behavior. That is is absolutely critical, and it's what we are supposed to do as as people in the church. And it doesn't mean that they should be allowed to stay in the position that they're in because they've had a positive impact on people's lives in the past, obviously. But but yeah, that's just an interesting kind of... (laughs) Uh, branch out. No, from I agree this with you. I think it's a. I think it's an important thing to to really start to say because, you know, the things that Brant or you or Kale preach are inevitably, and this is unfortunate, right, going to be very similar to some of the things that the other people are, are sure. preaching as well, who have who have moral and ethical deficits yeah. that are um, preventing them from living a consummate, integrated life. That doesn't mean that it's wrong. What we have to do is we have to say, okay, let me separate this sort of argument from the person's behavior, and then consult the scriptures in my community of how I'm supposed to address this person's behavior as well. It's It's worth considering for sure. Yeah, no, I agree. So to kind of pivot, to move along on this conversation, let's chat for just briefly about what the Bible has to say about hypocrisy. Now, if you listened to the service, that would have been the 13th and 14th of August here. Um, Brant mentioned uh, a couple of texts. Um, the book of James is, is one that's pretty instrumental about consistency within faith and deeds. Um, 
he talks about Matthew 23, which is Jesus' critique of the teachers of the law of his day. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's, it's worth talking about that Jesus' harshest words and his name-calling of hypocrites were for the religious leaders of his day. Yep. And that's important. So why why did Jesus call them hypocrites? What what do you think was was some of his his logic there? Well, I think and and really you see it all throughout Matthew and, and multiple times right. and, and all throughout Scripture. But but like you said, Matthew and James, we see a lot of of this kind of vernacular in terms that would get us to this yeah. hypocrisy idea. But but I think it goes back to what you were saying about kind of that double edged sword, right? They were wielding that sword outwards and they were pointing out everything that everyone else was doing wrong and and not turning that inward and seeing everything that was dirty on you know they were cleaning the outside of the cup but the inside was was a mess and it was it was dirty and so i i think that i think that's why we see jesus take these people who think they're great and who are pointing out everything that's doing wrong and saying wait a minute let's turn that mirror around a little bit and let's let's look at ourselves. Yeah, it's funny because Jesus talks about the fact that like you must be born again unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, mm-hmm. you will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Yeah. So he does not disagree with their teaching necessarily. Right. What he disagrees with is the hierarchy of of blessing that they that they would talk about. He he was saying you are using your knowledge as a weapon, right, to to make yourself more elevated, to bring others down. And and they were also reaping the rewards of like public perception. Right. They go out, pray as loud as they possibly could in the middle of the the town square or whatever. They would wear their religious garments everywhere. Phylactery. Yeah. And 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 that that sort of thing, he says, oh, they've received their reward. They wanted their to look holy in the eyes of people. They've already been able to do that. But far more meaningful is, is the life that is, is one that, that remembers the intimacy of the human and God relationship, I suppose. Right. Um, he doesn't let sinners off the hook, though. <laughs> no, <laughs> he doesn't. He uses very strong terminology, no. words like "beware," and mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of exclamation points <laughs> in those things too. Yeah. You hypocrites! Mm-hmm. You brood of vipers! Yep. You you know there is there's strong terminology, and um, yeah, he he does not let them off the hook. He's he's very straightforward. In in this is not a suggestion. This is not something that hey, I'd like you to think about this. It is, it's a command to do better yeah. in multiple ways. Yeah. Yeah, I think about the, the scripture in John where um, he's talking about uh, pruning of, of the vines yeah. in order to, that they produce fruit. And that may be a process that, that starts like the immune response of the plant, right? right? There's some sort of pain for that plant within... Uh, Without getting too scientific, right? <laughs> With in in that process, there is some sort of discipline, some sort of lattice structure that is utilized in order for the the plant to grow, to bear fruit, to be um, to be healthy and nourished and flourishing. And and there are lots of you know there are lots of condemnations, right? I can think of you know Jesus with the uh with the pharisees um god speaking um to ananias and sapphira um in isaiah where god is talking about these people honor me with their lips but their hearts are far from me there are critiques of of people who say one thing and do another everywhere but there are also prescriptions of of like okay if you no longer want to live like this Here's where you can go. And that's what I want to think about for the remainder of the episode. Sure. We have, we want to be adjacent. And one of the things that I don't think Brant was just afforded a lot of time to do is to be like, okay, maybe you you have searched yourself and you're like, yeah, my behavior and the things I value are out of sync. Right. So what do I do about it? And, and I want to, hopefully we can provide some tools for people to use in order to, like that lattice, 
provide structure in their lives that helps to live a more consummate, integrated um, life that is that is consistent with the things that they value and the things that God values as he like walks along with us. Um, so the first thing that I, I want to talk about is just obviously the Bible, okay? How, how does the Bible aid us in being more consistent? Well, there are different stories of how to live a faithful life. There are different practices that we are to do. Jesus offers us, okay, when you pray, pray like this. Obviously, he says when and not if you pray. So prayer should be in the life of, of a Christian. And there are things that <laughs> that really prevent people from feeling like I'm capable of doing this. Oh, I've got to make up something every single time that I pray. Uh, what do I what do I even say? You know, there are these barriers. And hopefully some of the, the tools that we can give are are going to decrease the like the competence threshold, right? Like like yeah. everyone who thinks that they are a follower of Jesus can do this. Sure. Right? So like we've been talking about, what do you what do you think about the scriptures being integral in the way that that we practice in the way that we become less hypocritical? Sure, yeah. I mean, obviously, we we tell people here at the church that the the Bible is kind of the handbook for us and how to live our lives and what we do. And we were just talking about, you know, how how strongly Jesus states his his comments in regards yeah. to hypocrisy. You know. It, take the log out of your own eye before you point out the speck in your brother's eye and things yeah. like that. There, there's so many things when we start to look at it of in, in scripture that, that again, we've got to turn everything inward to ourselves first yeah. before, you know, a lot of these things, it's not saying that what was being taught or what was being said, or even the comments that were being made by the Pharisees, the disciples, whoever it is that Jesus is specifically talking to, were wrong or inaccurate, <laughs> but the way they were going about it was usually wrong. Yeah, um, and I think there's a lot for us to learn in that when we really dive into those stories and see, you know, again, we like to put ourselves in the story as yeah. <laughs> as the more positive character. Mm -hmm. When I think the reality is, so often we relate a lot more to the person who's being corrected. Yeah, um, and that hurts. That's harder. It is. Yeah. But I think there's a lot more growth that comes from that when we're yeah. able to turn that inward and say, "I'm a lot like the Pharisee yeah. sometimes." And how can I how can I become yeah. better? The scriptures are a great tool for extrapolation. And yeah. when I say extrapolation, I mean you have um, a line, right? You just have a short line. Perhaps this is something that we would do oftentimes in, in my science classroom. We'd gather data and we'd plot it on a graph. Now, that graph can be used to predict something way off of what was measured. Okay, maybe we were measuring something and we only went up to one. Yeah. Okay, can I predict something with an X value of four? Or we have the Bible that is written from, you know, 1000 B.C., give or take, to like 300 AD, somewhere in that range. Right. Now, we live in 2022, right. so can these stories be extrapolated to like live in a world where there are cell phones and cars and things and people on the moon, right? Like yeah. this, the Bible does not have that context. Sure. So what we have to do is we have to say, okay, how do I take these truths, these values that are shown through these stories and bring them into how I live today? Because we're not going to be walking around grabbing loaves and fish from children and, right. and feeding 10,000 people. Yep. We're not going to do that. So what do we do? Yeah, and the, and the world is very different today than it was when Jesus walked the earth. Mm -hmm. That is absolutely true and, and a fact. Yeah. But I think what we can extrapolate from these stories and the things we learn when we look at the life of Jesus and his teachings is what is the idea and the heart at these yeah. at the base of these stories. And, yeah. and one of those is... Um, that 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 I think about when looking at um, scripture and this topic of hypocrisy is in Romans chapter twelve verse nine. The verse says, "Let love be without hypocrisy." In, yeah. in one of the translations, and 
And what we see there is we see this kind of opposite ends of the spectrum, right? At one end, there's love, and at one end, it, there is hypocrisy. Right. And that love and hypocrisy can't really go together. So mm-hmm. if we're being hypocritical, if we are, if we are judging people in a certain way while not not judging ourselves by that same measure, or we're focused on what they're doing wrong and never looking at ourselves, we're not loving them the way we're supposed to. Right. Well, what's that look like? That that love without hypocrisy is is sacrificial, mm-hmm. which is the example of Jesus. Yeah. That love without hypocrisy is unconditional. Again, we see Jesus love mm-hmm. unconditionally. That love without hypocrisy um, shows humility. Mm-hmm. Again, not not that we are right and they are wrong, mm-hmm. um, but an opportunity to to come together. And even in those those moments where maybe we don't see eye to eye, to still love and to still um, be humble enough to 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 show people why we believe what we believe and again not that we're going to agree on everything and not that yeah. we're not that we're necessarily even supposed to right. but to not be so focused on what we have right and they have wrong and then to yeah. be what we've been talking about so much the biblical liturgy to be in the word of god love yeah. without hypocrisy has a foundation in god's word mm-hmm. in the example of jesus and who he was and so i think when we look at it from that perspective we don't look at the necessarily the the exact specifics of every story that Jesus yep. shares or or from his, the biblical accounts of those moments but we look at what what really is Jesus saying here what mm-hmm. what was the heart of the message he was giving when he was talking to the Pharisees when he was talking to the disciples when he was talking to the crowd right. in in and talking about the beatitudes and all these different things what was the heart of the message? Not yeah. just only what was happening at that time that day. Yes. Um, and, and there is time and place for some of those as well. But mm-hmm. in terms of what we're talking about today, how we apply it to, to hypocrisy, I think we, we have to look at what was Jesus saying, why was he saying it, and how does that apply to us today in 2022? Yeah. I, th- I, I talk about three things in the the Bible Foundations class when approaching a text of scripture. And I think that one of the greatest disservices that we've done is continued to have the chapter and verses in our scriptures all the time. Now, don't get me wrong. I understand that those are important for reference and that helps people figure out where we are. But we're talking about Romans. Romans is a letter. We don't read Romans as a letter very often. One, it's kind of weird. I mean, we read Shakespeare and we're like, hey, he's speaking in English, but it doesn't seem the same, right? right? This is something that has been translated and like has been modified and and been edited and is, is different. And the the language and the idioms that are used in in the language are different than ours. But Paul is writing a letter to churches saying, this is who God is. This is how he has interacted with us. And there's almost always this therefore moment. And that therefore moment then tells us how we ought to live in light of those things. In light of what God, who God is, and what He has done in interacting with yeah. us, just speaking a little bit more generally, the scriptures kind of filter through our specific traditions. Understanding there are different traditions that have varying ideas about things. That's okay. That's right. it's like you said. It's not necessarily that we have to agree. Then we go through like the worship practices that have always been around filter that through our local context, because there may be another not in denominational church, like in suburban Denver, where I grew up, we do things a lot different here and we should, because we're not there. We have to think geographically about our context. We need to think about the people that we serve, where they come from, who they are, how they think, all of these things. And then we have these real like contextualized ways to live and be in the world. And we do that as a community. That's not done by ourselves. That's not done during our our private devotional time exclusively, but we do that in the context of the local body where all of us can speak into one another's lives. 
And my faith, my contextualized faith is going to look different than yours. And that's okay because the work of God in my story is far different than the work of God in your story. Along same principles, right? There are general things that are synonymous, but... To say that, oh, God's going to work the exact same in you as me is like putting God in a box that he doesn't often conform to. Well, and and branching out beyond you and me mm-hmm. is we're both, you know, middle-aged white males. Yep. Like yeah. Our stories are going to be similar, but they have differences. Mm-hmm. But there's people on the other side of the world who have very yeah. different experiences than we do, not any less or greater than our experience, not any better mm-hmm. or worse but different. Yeah. I have two final like ways of moving forward. And I think that these are both really helpful. They've been helpful for me. Um, so hence the reason that I want to share now, I want to give everyone permission, like for the three people who listen to this podcast, (laughs) if you, if you, your mom, my mom and Jason, Hey mom. So (laughs) if you think that these are good or you need to translate them into your own faith language, please go ahead and do that. The first of which is what um, is referred to as a rule of life. And this is a a fairly ancient practice, uh, starting with the Desert Fathers. You might be familiar with St. Augustine. He's a Desert Father. Um, End up, we end up disagreeing with like 95% of his theology now. But has really, really <laughs> good practices. Good. He has, uh, yeah, he's a good five percent. Um, and and the the idea of this rule of life. Now, notice that it's not rules of life, and we tend to think of rules as as things that are very black and white, that are br- broken and unbroken. Sure. But the rule of life is more like a gentle signpost or a railing or a support as we move forward in our search for God. And there are four tenets to this. And I have all of this linked in the show notes. So if you need a visual to go along with this, or maybe even a couple of worksheets that you can fill out yourself, then, then please go ahead and do that. And, and the first thing is just to talk about your priorities. Here are some questions that, that would help us frame in our priorities. What do you value? What's important to you? What companions and influences will you allow to affect your priorities? For the Christian, our priorities should emanate from the work of God through Jesus and, and the Holy Spirit in our life, helping us to realize, okay, yes, we aren't like Middle Eastern Jews in <laughs> the first century. We are white dudes in North America yeah. in, in the 21st century. So how do we live faithfully? What are the biblical values? Like, you know, the fruit of the Spirit. I think that's a timeless sort of way to live. I would love to be more loving, more joyful, more peaceful, yeah. more patient. Um those are all things that I aspire to. Um, the second thing is a posture. And the posture is going to work from those priorities, and it's going to be the perspective that we take. Mm. Okay? So if we want to be loving, as you, as you were talking about in, um, in Romans 12, yeah. uh, then what is the perspective that we'll take? And I o- often think of this as the lens by which we see the world. I don't sure. have 20-20 vision. My vision is pretty terrible. Mm-hmm. I have to use corrective lenses. So too are our experiences shaped by the selfishness and the sin that we need a corrective lens right. like Jesus or the Holy Spirit to help us view the world in a different way. How do I love things that everyone else, especially like the religious leaders of today who are interested in like bringing their platforms up yeah. How how do I see the people that they call unlovable as children of God, beloved, joining in the promise that he has to be a redeemer and a reconciler? Yeah. The third thing is, okay, how do I practice? How do I take these values, these perspectives, and actually put them into my life? And this has to happen in community. Two reasons why. One, it's easier to do it in community. <laughs> Um, and second is the idea that that's what the Bible says. The Bible says that we aren't just about a personal individualized relationship with 
commu- with um, with God, but God works in community, and the people that we have are are different components of one body that does the work of Christ in the world. So if I am to embody love, I need to practice being loving with us people who it's it's safe and ultimately easy to do so, so that then a rhythm starts to happen. It's it's like baseball practice, right? You hit ground balls to your kiddos all the time so that they practice being able to reach down, scoop in the dirt, get the ball, and throw it to whatever base needs to, right? right. So that ultimately, your goal in that is not so that they can do that well in practice. Sure. It's so that in the game, when everything is, tensions are high, and something is on the line, right, yep. that they have these habits these fundamentals of going that they can rely on in order to be able to ultimately influence the game in their favor. So too, we go out, we, we are supposed to be edified within the local body so that when we go out to be the hands and the feet, we have these things that are normal rhythms of our life. And that's not only behaviors, but that's those priorities. Those are seen in our behavior. The perspective is like able to be like shown in our behaviors. If I think that love is a value worth having, I want the perspective that people that I should love people in the same way that God does. My behavior, I should practice loving people so that that's a normal response right. of my life. And this is not something that's supposed to be like hemming in, but this is supposed to remind us that like there is beauty in behaving in the way that Christ behaves. It's ultimately what sets us free, right? Sure. Galatians speaks of this strongly that we're supposed to not bind ourselves to these laws, but the rule of life is a way by which we we put task oriented things in order to become a different person. Well, I think it's a way for us to be intentional. Yeah. Right? Instead of just going through life and just kind of whatever happens, happens, being intentional about what's important to us, what do we want to be about, you know, circling right back to the beginning where we talked about compartmentalization. Mm -hmm. And yes, there's there's times where we may need to put a different hat on depending on our circumstance or or the the situation that we're in. If we're doing these things and we have our priorities, our posture, our practices, our rhythm in line, and that mm-hmm. becomes kind of a natural state of who we are, that's yeah. that foundation we were talking about. Yeah. Being intentional about who we are at our foundation, what is important yeah. to us, what are we about, what do we want to be known for. Mm-hmm. Then in those moments where we put those different hats on, it's not that we're a completely different person. Yeah. It's that it's that this is, this is a, a, a segment of who we are at this particular mm-hmm. moment but it doesn't change who we are at our core. And I think that's that's that transition from being a hypocrite to being mm-hmm. a true follower of Jesus to being somebody who is intentional about mm-hmm. who they are and who they want to be. And, and I think that you know, these things you talked yeah. about are a great way to, to, to be intentional. And this doesn't mean that you are successful at it all the time, sure. but... If you're able to do this and you're able to allow people to give insight into your life, knowing that what they are giving you is for your ultimate good, you allow people who have different perspective than your own physically limited perspective. Right. You know, if if I need to be humbled, I should ask my wife about how well I'm being a a husband and a father and stuff like that, because I have allowed her to speak insight into my life about who I am, who I want to be, and the disconnection between those two things. That that is why I think that community is important, because Mm -hmm. we allow people to to help us become. and, and and yeah, I think I think it's so important that you you mentioned that I think that a lot of times we behave, and then we look back and we're just like, what was I thinking? Right. What what was I trying to communicate with this? And we do a lot of stuff on autopilot that yeah. we end up regretting. I don't think that people are, wake up in the morning, stretch, and say, I'm going to be a hypocrite today. Right. <laughs> I think that. Oftentimes, they are so burdened by the stress of their lives mm-hmm. and how many things that they have to be connected to that, that 
it ends up just happening. And, yeah. and I don't want life to happen to me. Yeah. You know, I want to be an active participant in, in my life. So just being aware. Um, another tool, the final tool that we'll talk about is, is a, the prayer of examine. And this isn't something like the Lord's Prayer, that it gives you specific things to say. Mm-hmm. But there are five tenets of this, okay. five movements. Uh, the first one is, is presence. And that means being off of your phone, <laughs> being simply present with God, however that might happen. Maybe that's in the context of some, some music to remind yourself that God is here. Maybe it's through prayer. Maybe it's through just total and complete silence, being still before God. However, you can one can remind themselves that they are near to God, that they are resting their mind and their heart in him. The second thing is, is reflection, is to take a look at an allotted amount of time. It can be a week, it can be a year, it can be the, the day as you go to, to bed, and, and to really be aware of where we've been near or far from the presence of God, how our behaviors are, are aligning with the values that, that God has or that we have. Um, then the, that kind of covers those reflection and awareness. This, the next thing, the, the penultimate one is, is faithfulness, and we can ask God to guide our reflections and help us to figure out how to be more faithful and more gracious. And ultimately, hopefully this um, ends up in hopeful action where we actually behave as if those things are true, hmm. uh, as if we want to live lives consistent with our values. And there are, there are six different domains that you can look at to make it a little easier, or sorry, not six, eight different domains, uh, spirit, body, mind, relationships, home, work, resources, or other things. And I'll have more detail in the show notes. Sure. Um, but but I think that those are, are really good things because I can just like focus on my finances as a subcategory of, of resources. Like what am I doing? Just take a, take a moment to disconnect from all the things that are vying for my attention because my attention is currency in a lot of ways as well. Um, and reflect, how is my money going to things that I value, right? There's that adage, show me somebody's bank statement and I'll show yeah. you what they value. Um, this is not just like to live in condemnation, but this is to liberate ourselves from the disconnect sure. between like value and behavior mm-hmm. and a life worth living is one where the values and behaviors are consistent. Yeah. So absolutely. in in the pursuit of consistency, maybe the the final thing that I have to say is thank God we don't do it alone. Yeah. God promises to be near to us, yep. to comfort us and guide us and advocate for us when we don't know how to do it. Yeah. And not only that, but he's given us people to do this along with as well. And, and this is an encouragement to connect to people, to allow others to speak into your life. And that doesn't mean me or you or Pastor Brandt. That just means like faithful covenant believers that, that you respect and trust and aspire to be. And my goodness, hopefully, if you aspire to be like someone when you grow up, maybe you can allow that person to give you insight into, sure. into your life that you may not be conscious of and, and check that with Scripture and move forward together. Yeah, you know, you asked me at the very beginning of this, Nathan, what I was most excited about. Um, kind of getting back into the swing of things and this podcast and our church and and what you just said is is that opportunity to connect with people. Um, there's going to be some opportunities coming up in our church and yep. some plans that we have and some things that we're formulating because we want to see that connection happen. And you know everything we're talking about here, that intentionality, that opportunity to allow people to speak into your life who care about you, who love you, who want the best for you but also are willing to tell you the hard things that you need to hear sometimes yeah. those are that those type of relationships are invaluable yeah. and and I, and we want to try to have opportunities to foster those relationships um, yeah. throughout our church and so I'm excited for that